0: Well, dear friends, I would like to turn your prayerful attention there to Second Samuel and the 20th chapter. We're coming now to the end of the book of Second Samuel. The 24th chapter will be the end, and we know that this is not far away. This is really quite striking when we see the end of David's life. It's uh, appearing here. Close of chapter 24. Now we're in chapter 20. And it seems that David is really reduced to a very weak man, isn't he? We saw this mighty man of God walking in obedience through so much of his life. But now we see him in a very pitiful state. David, because of his sin, is reduced to a very weak Man, You notice in chapter 23, in the verse 5, he says on his deathbed, although my house be not so with God, and here he's referring to the state of his family, he's restoring, referring to the incidents that have just taken place. Things are not good in Israel. Things are not so good in his house. He says, although my house be not so with God, Yet he hath made with me an everlasting covenant, ordered in all things and sure. For this is all my salvation and all my desire. David's only hope for eternal life is because of that covenant that God made with him and with David's greater son, the Lord Jesus Christ. By and large, as I referred to earlier, We're approaching this time of year that the world calls Christmas. I want to say just a few things. I'm not going to be preaching on Christmas, that's the last thing on my mind here this morning. But the twenty-fifth of December is not in the Bible, I'm afraid to say. We do not know the day, the time of our Lord and Savior's coming into the world. And while we do rejoice in his coming into the world, and we should give thanks, and it's right to give thanks. Let us not be taken up with all the paraphernalia and the worldliness and the, what we would call, religious platitudes of season today. We are, are we not in times of when people speak kind things simply because they think they need to be kind because of this time of year? And... Uh, They speak religious platitudes. The preacher is not about religious platitudes and fine sayings. We must just preach the word of God. And we must preach Christ crucified. And that was David's hope. David's hope is built on the Lord Jesus. We sometimes sing, don't we, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. And that was David's only hope because of that covenant that the father had made with a son to give his son as a ransom for many. And we rejoice in that. There's no peace on earth without knowing the Lord Jesus. There's no joy that men can know. That's what I mean by religious platitudes. People speak about peace, people speak about joy, and they know nothing about the Lord Jesus. This was David's hope. David's hope was in the Prince of Peace that was to come, the Savior that would come into the world. So if we are about to be anything as Christians at this time of the world, in the world, let us not be of the world, but let us be those who trust, as David did, this is all my hope, this is all my desire, Jesus Christ. And I trust that we will Be thinking much about Christ here, even in this passage. The scriptures are full of Christ. Now, David was meant to be, as we've said time and time again, an example of the Savior to come in type form. He was a king, wasn't he? But we could say now, it seems that he's almost a failed king. But we can see from even David's failures. Now, even in those, they point us to the unfailing king. Jesus Christ never failed. As we look at David's life and we're coming to the end of David's life, it seems, he even admits it, it's not so with his house. He seems to have made a failure as king and even as a Christian. But here's the thing, God will not fail him. And God will not fail us as Christians, if we seek to walk in Christ's light. Now, David, as we will see in this chapter, as we saw in the last chapter, because of his sin, he is reduced to a very weak man. And here, in this chapter, we find David making some very ungodly and unprincipled decisions. But again, let me emphasize, the Lord Jesus never made any mistakes. Even here on earth, he was a king, although men didn't acknowledge it. And he is a king now. He was a king crowned with thorns, but he is a king now crowned with glory. And if we are Christians, we are to conquer our sin, because we are more than conquerors through Christ who loved us, and we will be overcoming sin. Now, David had to overcome his sin and he is being restored. But along this road of restoration, he's still making many unprincipled decisions and getting himself into more trouble. Now what we see here in this chapter 20, as we even saw in the last chapter, chapter 19, we saw David's ungodly and unprincipled decisions in trying to be restored. Remember after the rebellion of Absalom, David was trying to get back to Jerusalem, but we saw last week in chapter 19 how he honored men who he never should have honored. You remember, on his way to getting back to power, he honored men like Zeba. Remember, Zeba was very dishonorable. He lied about Mephibosheth. And then, he blesses Mephibosh- uh, Ziba. He gives him part of the inheritance. Mephibosheth was a humble man, but Zebah lied about him. And then remember Shimei, who cursed David. Well, David honored him in the end. Why? Because David was fearful. And David was foolish. And when we're f- fearful, we act foolishly, don't we? And then there was Amasa. We see Amasa in this chapter. Remember how Amasa led Absalom's army? And Amasa was given charge over the army of Israel in the place of Joab. And remember last week we saw David because of his fear. He acted in folly and he put Amasa over Joab. And we see that works against him, and it actually backs fires against David here in this chapter. We learned last week how he punished those who were loyal to him.
1: But, he honored those who were actually his enemies, because he was in fear. Amasa wanted to kill him,
0: and he honors Amasa. Now Joab, although Joab was very self-serving, he reduces to Joab to third in command. And this is most foolish, and as I say, it'll work against David. He gave more honor, as we will see, to Judah. that was his own people who were the slowest to acknowledge him between Judah and Israel than the Ten tribes. And that will backfire on David as well. What is the lesson in all of this? We must fear
1: God. We mustn't fear man. Cursed
0: is the man that fears man. But blessed is the man that fears the Lord. Now we see David here. He's trying to get in this chapter here real unity in the kingdom. But it doesn't seem to work. At the close of this chapter, it seems that all is well, but all is not well at all. It seems to be a level of unity, but there's no real unity. Now, while David is restored to the throne, in unity, the close of this chapter is far from attained, and it's never the same again. Now, I think as we look at David's life, there ought to be a warning. For every Christian. The Lord Jesus Christ, of course, is the great example, isn't he? And what are we to learn from David? We're to learn from his mistakes. David certainly had good qualities. But now it seems his life is very pitiful. And it's mainly due to David's sin. It's mainly due to his weakness. It's mainly due to his compromises. And now giving honor where honor is not really to be given. And he should have honored those who were worthy of that honor. So, as we come to this chapter now, you notice there are several things. There is weakness. Notice in verse 1, the first thing I want you to notice. We have firstly Shebna, this man of Belial, who leads a rebellion against David. David. And remember, David is still the Lord's anointed. Verse one, and there happened to be there a man of Belial, whose name was Shebna, son of Now I'm sure pronounced this probably about several times differently, uh, but uh, bitchery is probably the best way to pronounce it. Bitch, where there's a ch and it's underlined, it's ch- Bichri, a Benjamite. And he blew a trumpet. So you have this man, a man of Belial. The name or the word Belial means son of worthlessness. A vain man. That's who he was. And it seems quite easy now to raise up a rebellion because you've noticed in the previous chapter there's this squabbling going on between Judah and Israel. Judah in the south with Benjamin the two tribes, and then the ten tribes in the north. And Judah saying, David is closer than us. And Israel were getting rather upset because they... Israel were rather upset because Judah were taking the lead in restoring David back to Jerusalem. And there seems to be this jealousy. And now all of a sudden there, there's this man of Belial who comes from the tribe of the Benjamites. His name is Sheba, and he blows a trumpet, and he says, we have no part in David. He says, let's call this whole thing off. We Benjamites. And you notice the whole of Israel follow him. So he leads a rebellion. Now in normal circumstances, this never would have happened. But it happens, you see, because David is weak. And because there's this infighting in Israel. Notice in verse 43 of chapter 19. And the men of Israel answered the men of Judah and said, We have ten parts in the king, and we have also more right in David than ye. So this is Israel. They're saying, we're bigger, we're larger. We've got more say in the matter. Why are you so prominent in restoring Israel? in this procession and leading David back to Jerusalem. Why then did ye despise us, that our advice should not be first in bringing back our king? The words of the men of Judah were fiercer than the words of the men of Israel. And then, of course, now you have Benjamin, the man here from Benjamin, this man Sheba. He speaks up, and he rises, and he leads a rebellion. Now, this never would have happened in normal circumstances, as we've said. And what is the lesson? See, the lesson is when tempers are high and there is infighting, the most foolish arguments prevail. Now, it was obvious that David was the anointed. Absalom has been destroyed. There's no one else. And, of course, where else will the Savior come from? The Savior must come from, remember the promise given even by Samuel? that the Savior would come into the world through the line, the lineage of David. Remember, the scepter shall not depart until Shiloh come. Remember that this is all part of the Lord's blessing. Now, of course, David wasn't a perfect man, but he was nevertheless the Lord's anointed. And that was without dispute. But you see, at times of difficulty... People are apt to run to extremes. And all it takes is, is, is the man like this, man of Belial, to rise up and say, This is all wrong. You shouldn't be following David anyway. And he leads all of Israel in rebellion against David. Verse 2 So every man of Israel went up from after David and followed Sheba, the son of Bitri. But the men of Judah clave unto their king from Jordan even to Jerusalem. So now Judah cling to David, but of all of Israel depart from him. They say sometimes blood is thicker than water,
1: and we see it here, don't we?
0: Well, this man's argument is ridiculous nonsense. David was the anointed king although he wasn't a perfect man. But you see, here's the thing. Israel
1: felt hurt. There was pride. When Judah
0: said, but David's closer to us. And so, all it takes is a man like Sheba, and they're off and they run with him. You see that? Times like this, when tempers are high, The most foolish arguments can prevail. So in pride, they felt hurt by Judah, Israel. And they followed this ridiculous argument. And so this man leads rebellion against David. But ultimately, it's against God. Because it's
1: against the anointed king.
0: So that's the first lesson. And remember this, our loyalty ultimately is to the Lord Jesus. Now, David
1: was an imperfect man. But the fact that they
0: had lost sight of the promises was rebellion against God. Secondly, I want you to notice David puts an end to unseemly relations with his concubines. And this is a good thing. Now, I've read many a commentator on this and you'd be quite surprised with the comments that are made. Some say David acted wrongly here. But I don't see that. Because I see that marriage is between one man and one woman for life. And you'll get some commentators say, well, David was wrong to just not go back to these women. But I, I don't see that at all. That's, that's often the liberals that take that view. Verse 3, and David came to his house at Jerusalem. Verse 3, and the king took the ten women, his concubines, who he had left to keep the house, and put them in ward and fed them, but went not in unto them. That is, he had no conjugal relation with them again. They were, so they were shut up unto the day of their death until living in widowhood. Now, The criticisms against David are, I believe, unbelievable. Some that are leveled against him here, but David, I believe, did the right thing. Marriage is between one man and one woman. Never, in the word of God, is polygamy sanctioned. Certainly, never do we read a man can have concubines. There are provisions, by the way, in the book of Deuteronomy, that if a man does have many wives. He has to provide food. And that is just God showing that he is benevolent and cares for the widows. And David does that here. David does the honorable thing by providing food and takes care of these widows up until the day of their death. Matthew Henry says, David had multiplied wives contrary to the law and they proved a grief and shame to him. Those whom he had Sinfully taken pleasure in, he was now obliged in duty to put away, being rendered unclean to him by the vile uncleanness of his son had committed with them. Now, we don't need to go into the details, but for David to go back and to have the same sort of relationship that he had with these women before would be against Scripture. We're told, are we not, in 1 Corinthians 5, verse 1 of the man, who takes uh, his father's wife and really he was to be shut out of the church, not not to be allowed to attend the Lord's table and the church at Corinth weren't dealing with that. Well, we won't waste any more time on that verse, but those things I just say by way in passing. I, I believe here David did the right thing, the honorable thing in his life. Now thirdly, we see David's folly in giving Amasa charge over the army of Israel and Judah in verses 4 to the verse 13. And it, it was disaster in the army of the king. It, it was sheer disaster. Now you notice, here in this chapter, David continues to to uh, treat here Amasa as commander-in-chief. And then as you notice, as the chapter goes on, he he, he brings... Joab down to about number three. He employs his brother second, he becomes second in charge, and then Joab last. But remember here, this man Amasso was the man who plotted a king to kill King David. The one who with his wicked son Absalom conspired to kill King David. David, what are you doing? Now, it's true, David... Resented Joab killing Absalom. Remember, it was Joab that killed Absalom. But he was wrong to deal with Absalom in this way. Now, Joab was given specific orders by David, and David was the king not to kill Absalom. You now, Absalom should have been brought to justice in the right way and executed. And there are three men we'll think about that Joab killed against the king's orders. It was first of all Abner, then Absalom,
1: and now Amasa, the three men
0: whose names begin with A, Joab killed. And what we find in David's life is he never seemed to have control over this man Joab. And it presented a real weakness in David's life. You see, David luck, lacked the courage, he lacked the principle to deal with Joab appropriately. And we need to learn lessons in life as Christians to be strong, where we need to be strong. And David didn't do this. And so what he's doing here is he's just pushing David uh, Joab aside in favor of Amasa. Because he's actually afraid of Amasa. And, and he's angry with Joab at the same time. But he does himself no good. Remember in 2 Samuel 19, verse 13, just that previous chapter we read there, And say ye to Amasa, Art thou not of my bone and of my flesh? God do so to me, and more also if thou be not captain of the host before me continually in the room of Joab. That was a fatal mistake and a promise that he made to Amasa. So he's annoyed at Joab and uh, he, he's just afraid here of Amasa. Now, notice what happens here in the verse 4. Then said the king to Amasa, assemble me the men of Judah within three days. And be thou here present. So Amasa went to assemble the men of Judah, but he tarried longer than the set time which he had appointed him. Now we... We, frankly, we don't know why Amasa lingered. Did he have uh, organizational skill problems? We don't know. But for some reason,
1: he took much longer than should have taken.
0: Perhaps, maybe it was a lack of authority. We, we, the text doesn't tell us why. Maybe he had little authority in Amongst the people. Maybe they didn't trust him. That's quite possible. After all, here's a man that wanted to kill David. Well, you notice what David ends up doing. He gets Joab's brother to do the job that Amasa couldn't do. And David said to Abishai, Now shall Sheba, this is the man, the son of Belial, the son of Bichri." Do us more harm than did Absalom? Take thou of thy Lord's servants and pursue after him, lest he get him fenced cities and escape us. So Abishai gathers the army and they go after this son of Belial, this troublemaker from Benjamin. And you notice they do this so before that this man, Sheba, can get himself into fenced cities. And uh, so he puts Abishai in position here. And uh, by the way, Joab then is sort of in third position. But you notice how Joab acts rather quickly. He sees all this going on, verse 7. And they went out after him Joab's men, and the Cherethites and the Pelethites. Now we know Joab is there with because we see him kill later, And all the mighty men, and they went out of Jerusalem to pursue after Sheba, the son of Bitri. So Joab and all of his men pursue immediately. And then there were a great stone. When they were at the great stone which is in Gibeon, Amasa went before them. And Joab's garment that he had put on was girded on him and put it, and and upon it a girdle with a sword fastened upon his loins, and the sheath thereof. And as he went forth, it fell out. Now, whether that's deliberate, we don't know. But you can imagine, so the sheath is there, and the sword just sort of falls on the floor. And he goes out to greet Amasa. Look at verse 9, and you can see the, the subtlety, the stealth in this. The deceit and the way he...
1: He kills Amasa,
0: and Joab said to Amasa, "Art thou in health, my brother?" And Joab took Amasa by the beard. It's a way of, was what they did. They they greeted with the one hand to kiss him, but Amasa took no heed to the sword that was in Joab's hand. So he smote him therewith in the fifth rib. Now this was the. Classic hallmark killing, wasn't it, of Joab. And the accounts that Joab killed his enemies, it was always under the fifth rib. So this was his signature, as it were, of killing his enemy. And so we can see, look at the deceitfulness of this. It was a feigned kiss, wasn't it? And uh, as he greets Amasa, and then touching his beard, and then instantly he pierces his bowels with a sword under the fifth rib. And so were Joab and Abishai, his brother, pursued after Sheba, the son of Bichri. And one of Joab's men stood by him and said, He that favoreth Joab, he that is for David, let him go after Joab. Now, this is Joab for you. A man, he's doing this in anger, isn't he? Instead of bringing this man to justice, he's just angry. And what we could say about Joab is he's loyal to David so long as it's for his own ends. That's certainly something we see about him. And again, as we've seen, Joab killed three men already. Abner, and the way he did that was terrible. David condemned the way that he killed Abner. And then Absalom was against David's orders. And then now... Amasa, who was David's military leader. Now, Joab, here's the thing. We, can, we need to learn about this character. As we said, David never really had control over Joab. In fact, he warned Solomon about him at his death, but never dealt with him properly in his life. He was always a sort of thorn in his side. Now, this man, Joab, saw himself, as so many do, as a loyal supporter to the king, but it was only on his own terms.
1: And I want us to think about that. Joab
0: saw himself as a loyal supporter of David. And likewise, so many see themselves as loyal supporters of the Lord Jesus but it's only on their own terms.
1: Joab was a self-serving man.
0: That's what we can say. Yes, Amasa was not a good man. But ultimately, Joab was not loyal really to David. He was loyal so long as it served him. So long as it was right in his own eyes. And there are many who claim to be loyal to the Lord Jesus and his cause. There are many who claim to be in Christ's army as long as it suits their own purposes. There are many who say they stand for the things of Christ and who stand for the gospel. But there's no real holiness in the life. And there's no submission to Christ. You know, there are many that are gung-ho. They talk the talk. And they do mighty things. But when it comes to the small things of obedience, it's not there in the life. And that was lacking in Joab's life. There are many in the church when it comes to Christ who have no regard for his word. Now, Joab should have obeyed. Word of God. He sh- Remember David. David's quite different. Think for a moment. Remember Saul. How David refused to touch the Lord's anointed. Should Joab not have had the same spirit? Well, if he was a Christian, he should have. You see, being a Christian doesn't mean you can take things into your own hands. And act how you will or how you want. And there are many that, that, that are loyal so long as it suits their own ends. But they have no real regard for holiness. They serve on their own terms or for their own ends. And you see, David now, he, he's very weak. He doesn't really
1: know how to deal with Joab. And so it is with many need a firm hand. What we learn from Joab
0: is a one who seems to be loyal, but is not really. And that's the question we need to ask ourselves. Loyalty comes down to the small things in the Christian life, doesn't it? Not just the things that I find easy to do or the things that I find convenient to do. In my life, But when it goes against my grain, am I loyal to the king? Am I loyal to Christ?
1: Now, Joab, he
0: was certainly not going to be third in command, was he? He wasn't going to have it. That's really at the bottom line here, isn't it? He wasn't going to be number two either. And that's why he puts this man out of the way. And there were others, as you notice, who weren't so hardened as Joab, who were appalled by Amasa's blood. Look at verse twelve that was shed. And what do they do? They they pulled him out of the way, covering him. And Amasa wallowed verse twelve in his blood in the midst of the highway. And when the man saw all that the people stood, when the man saw that all the people stood still, he removed Amasa out of the highway into the field and cast a cloth upon him, when they saw that everyone that came by him stood still. When he was removed out of the highway, all the people went on after Joab to pursue after Sheba, the son of Bitri. And he went through all the tribes of Israel, unto Abel, and to beth Makah, and all the Berites, and they were all gathered together and went also after him. So it seems he is on a wild rampage now. He's just angry. And, and it seems like he's, he's just fighting for David now. But it, really at the end of it, it's for his own sake. This man is very self-seeking. And so what we notice is he goes on a mad rampage from city to city. And then eventually they find this. This man, Sheba, in a city called Abel, if you notice, and and thus far it seems that Sheba has support for him, has almost fallen completely away, apart from just a few from his own clan are following him. And the verse 15, and they came and besieged him in Abel of Bethmachah. So it's come down to a a siege of a city. And... uh, We read here there's a wise woman in the city. And she can see if she doesn't do something, well, Joab's going to destroy everybody. Because ultimately, all Joab cares about is himself. And that's how so many are. They don't really care about other people. Verse 15, and they came and besieged him in Abel of Beth-Marca. And they cast up a bank against the city, and it stood in the trench, and all the people that were with Joab battered the wall to throw it down. You can imagine the fear within the city. You can imagine the people, the man and the woman trembling. And yet there's a wise woman. Then verse 15, 16, then cried a wise woman out to the city, hear, hear. say, pray you unto Joab, come near hither, that I may speak with thee. So she's trying to reason with Joab. When he was come near unto her, the woman said, art thou Joab? And he answered, I am he. Then she said unto him, hear the words of thine handmaid. And he answered, I do hear. Then she spake, saying, they were want." to speak in old times, saying they shall surely ask counsel at Abel. And so they ended the matter. So it was done in past in Abel. People spoke and they reasoned. She's saying this is how we normally do things here. And the matter is normally settled. It's always been in past time. And then she says, I am one of them that are peaceable, verse 19, and faithful in Israel. Thou seekest to destroy a city. It, this was Joab's intention for one man and a mother in Israel. Why wilt they swallow up the inheritance of the Lord? Saying, we are the Lord's people. Why do you want to kill us? Verse 20, and Joab answered and said, Far be it, far be it from me that I should swallow up or destroy. Well, what were you doing, Joab? You were doing just that. You see, she deals with his conscience. She gets this man to think rationally. Now, Joab, you see, he forgot in his worldliness about people. And that's so often how the ungodly are. They they might even be saying they're in the cause of Christ, but they don't actually care for God's sheep.
1: And that was Joab prepared to see innocent people die. You see,
0: here's the lesson, ungodly, empty professors do not spare the flock. That was Joab. He was engaged in a right cause, but without regard to other people. That is not the spirit of God's people prepared to put this man to death at the expense of everyone else. But that is not the way the godly are. You see, the godly are concerned and they love God's people. And they're not... I mean, he was just, as it were, hell-bent on making sure he's number one again, making sure he's esteemed by David, And he didn't care how many people he killed along the way, so long as he got what he wanted in the end. But that's not the spirit, is it, of God's people? This man was an ungodly man. And it took a wise woman here, because we notice what happens. The people, well, they, they find this man, they cut his head, and they throw it over the wall, and the whole matter is ended. Verse 21, and the matter is not so, but a man of Mount Ephraim, Sheba, the son of Bichri, by name, had lifted up his hand against the king, even against David. Deliver him only, and I will depart from the city. And the woman said unto Joab, Behold, his head shall be thrown to thee over the wall. Now his words seem fine here, but his actions prove to be another thing entirely. It's all very well saying this now, Joab. But that's not the way you acted. It's not the way you behaved. Our our actions betray us, don't they? And we see what the woman does. And uh, it says, They cut off the head of Sheba, the son of Bichri, and cast it out to Joab, and he blew a trumpet. And they retired from the city, every man to his tent. And Joab returned to Jerusalem, unto the king. You see, he's got what he wants. What we have here is a right cause, but
1: it was wrongly pursued. But
0: by this wise woman, it's rightly pursued, isn't it? She puts everything into perspective. Now, I want you to notice something else. Joab... You come to verse 23, to the verse 26, is restored and uh, reestablished as governor in chief over the army. And David seems
1: powerless. This is tragic. Joab
0: is restored. But David seems powerless. How do we mean? Let's follow. Now, Joab was over all the host of Israel, verse 23. So he had no rivalries, not even his brother now. And Benaiah, the son of Jehuadiah was over the Cherethites and over the Pelethites. And Adoram was over the tribute. And Jehoshaphat, the son of Ahleud, was recorder. And Sheva was scribe. And Zadok and Abiathar were the priests. And Ira, also the Jarite was a chief ruler about David. Now, you see, as you look at the scene, on the outside, it seems okay. It seems that everything's settled now. It seems all is well. It seems that there is peace with David and Israel and also with Joab, but not really.
1: There was... Disloyalty.
0: Joab was a man you couldn't control. There was mistrust. Did he trust David? After all, he had this man, Amasa, over him. His pride has been hurt. You see, what you have is an outward form of unity, but there wasn't real unity. There wasn't real peace. And you think about it, before Absalom came along, and before Sheba came along, and before this, this man Sheba, the son of Belial, there seemed to be unity. Here's the lesson. But there wasn't even unity then, was there? Because they were seeing a king who was not very strong. They were seeing a king that was making compromises in his life. They were seeing a king
1: that was falling and falling and falling and getting worse.
0: And they were seeing a king that was honoring people that he should never have honored. Honoring Absalom who he should never have honored. Not dealing with Joab properly.
1: Trying to punish Joab instead of correcting him. And we see David going from one crisis
0: to the next, to the next, to the next, putting out fires. And that, my friends, is not the way we are to lead our lives as Christians, are we? Often it's like this in a church. You know, it it seems now that, oh, things seem to be settled, but they're not really. The problem with Joab was there was never any real loyalty to David David, the anointed king. And again, it speaks to us of Christ. David was imperfect, but he was still the anointed king. And Joab should have always done the right thing concerning David. Just like David did the right thing concerning Saul. Remember, he said, forbid that I should touch the Lord's anointed." It has to be the Lord's time. It has to be the Lord's will. It has to be of the Lord. I must never take matters in my own hands. I must be obedient unto my Lord. The Lord has appointed the king. And it's the same in the church. Who are we... T- Let me say this. I never ask people to be loyal to me. As a, Please do not be loyal to me. Be loyal to the Lord Jesus. Be loyal to him. Do something... Because you know you should do it. Not because simply I say. If what I say is right, then honor that. But the real reason why you should do something is because it's right. Because it honors Jesus Christ. Because it's good. Because this man can fail you, my friends. You're an imperfect man. But I ask you to be loyal to Jesus Christ, to be loyal to his cause, be loyal to his word, to be loyal to what he says. Otherwise, you're just following a man. You must follow Jesus Christ. You must follow his word. You must obey him. Because you see, as we were talking about crises, it's often when there's a crisis in a church, real loyalty Shows itself
1: when difficulties come. Whether
0: there's real loyalty or not. Are you going to be loyal? When you've fallen out with your pastor. Because you're loyal to Jesus Christ. That's the bottom line, isn't it? We're, not, we're to be loyal to Him. Our allegiance is primarily to the Lord's anointed, the Lord Jesus Christ, the King of the church and head of all. You know, we can have an apparent show of unity when times are well, but that really isn't unity, my friends. Unity is only seen, you see, truly seen when crisis has come. You see, under ordinary circumstances, when a man like Sheba came along, people would have just said, sit down. We're not listening to you. What are you talking about? David is the king. They wouldn't have given him a second thought, a second hearing. And it's so in the church when times are difficult and somebody tries to bring in false doctrine And there's real unity. The church
1: stands strong together. And we do not give error a second chance. When crisis comes, real loyalty to God is shown where there is true Christianity, my friends.
0: We must seek that unity through the Spirit of Christ. We must, above all, do what's right, not because it pleases us or it's for our own advancement, but simply because it's right, simply because it's what God says. Ephesians 4 verse 2 says, With all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering forbearing one another in love endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace there is one body one spirit even as you are called into one hope of one calling one lord one faith one baptism unity is kept by those seven ones one lord who you follow one faith one baptism one kind of baptism one spirit The Spirit doesn't say one thing to you and another thing to somebody else. The Spirit leads us to unity. Paul says, endeavor to keep the unity through the Spirit. The unity is already there. If we're saved, the Spirit keeps us in unity. The problem is we often think selfishly. And so often we can even have the attitude of Joab, I'll serve the king, so long as it's for my benefit. You get what I'm saying? I'll serve, I'll do what's right, so long as there's something in it for me. And that's
1: not the way. We must
0: always honor God. This was David's weakness. This was Joab's weakness. And there can never be strength, friends, where sin is tolerated. And we're trying to serve God on our own terms. We must serve on his terms. In closing application, David now is surely a very weakened man. Look, he's got, who he's got? Joab.
1: Joab's just killed his military leader. Joab's, Killed his son. Joab's killed Abner.
0: David now is surely a very weakened man. And let me say this, we can all surely, if we're honest with ourselves, we can see something of ourselves in David, can't we? We say, this is me. We're weakened by our own sin. Let me say this, sin always makes us very foolish and makes us very weak. It makes us unstable in all of our ways, friends. And we have to say the scene is most pitiful. Look, this was the great king. But look at what he's reduced to now. And see what sin reduces us to.
1: But not so with the Lord Jesus.
0: We must lift our eyes off David. And look to the king who reigns in righteousness. The Lord Jesus never made a single wrong decision in this world. He never put a foot out of place.
1: And he never will. He came not for his own ends. But he came
0: to be a servant. He who is God. And gave himself as a ransom for many. He came to be crowned with thorns. So that he would be crowned with glory now. The father says of him in Isaiah 42. Behold my servant. In whom I uphold mine elect. In whom my soul delighteth. Yes. I've put my spirit upon him. He shall bring forth Judgment or literally deliverance to the Gentiles. Friends, the Lord Jesus, very unlike David, has one bride.
1: Doesn't he? The church. He never married
0: here on earth. But he is married to his people. His beloved bride, his church, his spiritual people who love him and who serve him and who are loyal to him. And we must give our loyalty to him, to him, to him, to him. If you're loyal to your pastor,
1: it's because you
0: should be first of all loyal to Jesus Christ. If you're loyal to anybody else, you're first of all loyal to Christ. and You're loyal to the truth. The cause is Christ's, isn't it? Do you remember David? When he was facing Goliath, he
1: said, is there not a cause?
0: He's taken his eyes off that cause. Coming back to power, he's making all these foolish decisions. It's self-preservation, isn't it? But I'll tell you this, if you commit yourself to the Lord, he'll preserve you. You don't need to preserve yourself. He'll preserve you. He'll protect you. He'll protect your reputation. He'll bless you in your life. You honor him, he will honor you. It's always the way.
1: If you are debating whether something is wrong or right to do in your life, you ask yourself the question, would the Lord do this?
0: Does it bring glory to God? Is the decision for myself, is it principled or is it unprincipled? Live your life, child of God, never regretting the decisions you make. David had to live with many decisions
1: that he regretted. Let us not
0: live that way. And David could say at the end of it all, though, it's true. Although it not be so with my house.
1: Yet God has made with me an everlasting covenant. We may fail, but God will not fail us in Jesus Christ. That all to humble us. And When we fall, we thank our God. He doesn't fail because he is a covenant-keeping God. Thank God for his Son, the unfailing King. Amen.